And we're back! Mike, Mike, and Oscar here finally putting a bow on all things Tarantino. That is, of course, until he releases the surprise Kill Bill Volume 3 that he mm. has in his canister <laughs> and puts it out in theaters later on this year. But until then, this will be our final episode of the Tarantino Rewatch series, some 15, 17 hour excursion that mm. we have taken you on and you have hopefully been uh, with us through and hopefully learned a thing or two along the way on this August 7th, 2019 or the 17 year anniversary of Spy Kids 2, The Island of Lost Dreams. This is the second Spy Kids movie you've referenced <laughs> on like your little anniversary. <laughs> So uh, Lindsay Lohan yeah, and Spy Kids. That's right. They hit me important pillars of Hollywood history. I am Mike One. This is co-host also Mike. Mike, what are we yeah. doing today? What's going on? So we love to finish our rewatch series with award shows. Mm -hmm. We kind of cover award shows for much of the year. We have a giant golden statue between us in every logo. And <laughs> because we are equal parts nonsense and serious or legitimate, I guess we could say. Sure. We love to come up with crazy categories, fun categories, yes. and actual serious film appreciation-y categories as well. We're going to finish with a uh, countdown of our top 10, uh, yeah, and I say 10 Tarantino films because there are 10 feature films in his canon. Yeah, uh, it's the what we covered, the directorial, yeah. canonical, blah, 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 all yeah. those long words. Kill Bill counting as two separate films. I'm tired of that. I've talked to three friends this week that all say, oh, I consider Kill Bill one movie, and I just let it go because I don't have the strength to argue nor yeah, the no. energy and tarantino's <laughs> been on record saying it's one movie because yeah. he filmed it in one production right good yeah. for you good it's you <laughs> formed it into two separate right. movies and then you don't let us watch you the had whole two Bloody different Affair. national release dates you can't find it as one movie right Right, so it's two movies for purposes of this uh, countdown. What we're also doing in this award show that's a little bit different is we're going to have a non-spoiler lead-up and then a spoiler section. We've heard from a lot of our audience that, you know, perhaps you've seen 7 out of 10 or mm -hmm. 6 out of 10. So we're going to have the latter section be more plot-driven, more of our best scenes, best characters. But for the, for the non-spoiler section, we're going to talk in generalities and we're not going to spoil, you know, the end of The Hateful Eight if that was the one movie you haven't seen right and it goes in line with our rewatch episodes how we have those eight different things that kind of differentiate the tarantino stuff from all of the regular episodes we do those are cut up into a non-spoiler section and a spoiler section in every episode this is going to follow that suit there will be a non-spoiler awards section and a spoiler filled awards section we won't have a drop or a performance for you this time we're just going to talk through and give you a clear spoiler warning maybe i'll play a little noise in the background at the end of the <laughs> post edit to uh, let you know that the spoiler section's coming two things before we get underway here one this is the most important of the two. We are not blind to the fact that Tarantino is a controversial figure. Yes. And to prove that we're not blind to the fact, we do have this 17-hour playlist that is available on SoundCloud where all the Tarantino episodes are grouped together. We take a good amount of time each episode criticizing the man, talking about the controversies, kind of parsing our way through them and talking about what is wrong with his approach and the things he's done and the things he's been involved with over the years. Now, mm -hmm. uh, we think that's important because obviously there was a lot of lives affected, a lot of people affected, and we also comment on whether we think he's matured, and to be honest and quite frank, we both kind of think that he has, at least somewhat, and he's maybe learned from his transgressions, as you do, tend to do as you go on in life. So, that being said, 
That will not be the focus of this award show. We like doing this as kind of a lighthearted, fun way to end all our big, long rewatches and big, long deep dives that we do. We've done this before. Right. Pixar, we've had problems with Pixar exactly. movies. We had problems with MCU movies, etc., etc. Halloween movies in particular. We had a few, how many, four out of the eight Halloween movies right. or whatever that were just real stinkers, <laughs> right. awesomely bad at best. And, of course, we, we devote time to both sides of the coin always. Now, that brings up the second part of the two things I wanted to talk about. If you are interested in hearing our commentary, hearing our criticisms, on our SoundCloud page, because I know we put out a lot of content, and I know it kind of could bog down your feed, but on our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com backslash Mike, Mike, and Oscar, if you hit the playlist subheading, we have every deep dive that we have done separated into its own playlist. We have the MCU deep dive there, we have the Halloween rewatch, we have the Tarantino rewatch, Mission Impossible, all the deep dives we've done since the inception of this podcast are all separated, most of them have their own unique logo, so we kind of have make them stand out from one another as well so those are all housed together so if you did miss something in the tarantino rewatch section here and it wasn't quite the deep dive about 17 hours or so uh you can go there hit the playlist subheading it'll be there you'll see the big yellow logo that mike and i are dressed up like uma thurman and john travolta from pulp fiction you can go there listen to all of it listen to any of it you want and catch up with all of it and that goes the same for every rewatch series we've done so there's one more ask and we started to make this push on social media again all you have to do is kind of scroll down in your itunes feed folks we're trying to rack up the five star reviews and we've kind of asked you at the end of every podcast at the end of the show notes but we're really trying to make the push for it. We'll reveal why that is, but it's for the best. It's for an application that we want to want to do. And like I said, we'll, we'll talk about it later. But if you can click those five stars, just literally go into Mike, Mike and Oscar shows tab off, uh, off iTunes. Just scroll all the way down to the bottom of our feed. You'll just see five stars. Click the, the fifth one and it would really, really help. We definitely have enough of you out there that are consuming our show every week that we can hit this number very easily so please if you, ha- you have a moment do that for us and uh we'll love you forever yeah we tease all the time that we're thinking of expanding the empire we're going to do this to expand the empire this goes along with that it would be a huge help if you can just click four or five stars that's what we need and that's what we ask of you and if, if you appreciate any of the work we've done uh, those truly go a long way and that would help us take the next step in kind of expanding the mmo empire and what we want to do and what we think we're, we're we can bring to you as a service and make things fun and hopefully give back to you at some point down the future down in the future that will be part of this so we thank you in advance for those of you or that will do it we thank you uh for those of you that already have done it yes so we like ado and i like saying that word so without any more or further of (laughs) that ado let's get into the tarantino awards celebration show it is it it definitely (laughs) is so this is the non-spoiler section and like i said equal parts nonsense and legitimacy this is the first legitimate category as it always is on every award show (laughs) mike the category to open up the show is best achievement in hair wig or beard (laughs) okay we have Jules, Vincent, or and or Mia mm-hmm. in Pulp Fiction. Right. And we're going to choose this by movie for this category. We have Ordell Robbie all by himself, Samuel Jackson's character in Jackie Brown. <laughs> we have Pime slash Michael Madsen's mullet. Oh, that's a good mullet, too. In Kill Bill Volume 2. Yeah. 
we have all the beards of Django Unchained. Mm, uh, mm-hmm. Waltz, Fox, Leo, Don Johnson. Great beard game in that movie. Oh, great. We have the mustache of Kurt Russell all by itself in The Hateful Eight. Mm. That is a stash. That is a huge stash. And we have the Hollywood hair of Pitt, Robbie, and DiCaprio and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So a little bit in the opposite of the way the Academy rewards this category, I'm partial to those that actually grow it naturally yeah and aren't you know that aren't kind of taped on or glued on with a, a big zabata like mustache <laughs> in some of these performances now you could also make the argument that a few of these movies have hair wigs and beards yeah i said or beards That's so true. you can you can weigh That's however true. you need to i think pulp fiction might be the most iconic mm-hmm. but we know for a fact that those are all wigs <laughs> yeah, uh, we we, we've talked about that in the review so that's not natural i kind of put points against that thank god for all the halloween costumes to follow <laughs> i pray to god ordell robbie's beard is fake in jackie brown because yeah. that thing is disgusting it's, it's disgusting <laughs> so i can't reward that in good faith that, how many years would it take to grow that but like you have to only grow like seven separate strands of hair off your chin and then braid those it's disgusting it is <laughs> Same could be said for Paime with the Fu Manchu and the long, strokey beard that he has there, but I do love that moment Michael Madsen's rocking, and it would hurt my heart if I found out that was a wig. I'd like to think Michael Madsen just grew that and kept it. The fact that he's had it and other stuff right. makes me think it's real. <laughs> uh, this is all a long way of me saying, that's a real mustache in The Hateful Eight, right? <laughs> that has to be a real mustache that Kurt Russell's rocking, and that thing is fucking glorious this is Santa Claus movie he had that mustache <laughs> true too and, he, and the, the glowing locks the gray locks I mean that dude's got hair game yeah yeah I, I agree and I have faith that that is in fact his actual hair based on other performances that is my award winner the mustache of Kurt Russell in The Hateful Eight that's an achievement mm. you, oh yes you, you, no doubt that's an achievement <laughs> I'm going to go with the most iconic, I think, because I'm not going to pick it in the next category. I'm going to go with Jules, Vincent, and Mia. I'm going to talk about the wig game here. I'm going to salute all the Halloween costumes to follow and say that these were great wigs. Yeah. I don't necessarily know if they looked impeccably real, you know, watching that movie years later. Right. Kind of like, ah, it's a wig. Right. (laughs) But at the same time, it just looked so good, and it characterizes uh, those three so well. Yeah, I would say certainly the most iconic, probably, of that category is the Pulp Fiction uh, setting there. Otherwise, the Hollywood hair of Pitt, Robbie, and DiCaprio, we're just jealous. Those sideburns, <laughs> those choppy-ass sideburns that Brad Pitt is rocking. Yeah. Oh, those are beautiful. Good for them. Mike, the next category is Most Iconic Costume. Mm. I'm going to talk about the Black Suits, yeah. first of all. And this is from two movies. So Black Suits is your nominee. Okay. You got Reservoir Dogs, all the dogs. You got Jules, Vincent, and Mia in Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. Ordell Robbie's get up and, and Jackie Brown yet again mentioning him. Fashion name. icon on a lot of levels. The bride's yellow tracksuit in Kill Bill Volume One, even though it is a homage to uh, Bruce Lee's yeah. yellow tracksuit uh, in a movie that he did. We have Stuntman Mike with the icy hot jacket and Death Proof the black T-shirt. Is that ever really explained? Has icy hot ever come out and been like, "Yeah, we're cool with our our brand being splatted all over this character"? Who kills mercilessly. Yeah, I wasn't going to say it. I think it's a spoiler, but go ahead. <laughs> it's 
It's not. Come on, it's a trailer spoiler. All right, fine. Shoshana's Red Dress and Inglorious Bastards, mm-hmm. one of my favorites. Big standout. You have Django in the blue suit, Django Unchained. Loved it. I don't know if it's iconic, but it's probably the best looking of this group. <laughs> Margot Robbie as Sharon Tate. About town, I'm talking the white skirt, the black shirt, Once Upon a Time yeah. in Hollywood. And then pick one of the yellow shirts from Brad Pitt. You know, either when he's laying down on the golf court or he's got the Hawaiian (laughs) shirt on going to the Manson Rants and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So here, again, I'll walk you through my thinking of where I landed on this. The two from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I think, will be iconic. I think those are the two most iconic looks. But I'm not going to say they're the most iconic right now. So those are kind of out for me. Again, I've talked about, I think that suit Jamie Foxx is wearing might be the best suit of all time. I just don't know that it rises to the level of iconicism. Mm-hmm. I think maybe that's a word. Uh, that's something else in this category is Shoshana's red dress has kind of been done in other movies. That's more of an homage to me. Stuntman Mike, I don't want a reward. <laughs> uh, and the bride's yellow tracksuit again is an homage. Or Del Robbie's a disgusting human being. So <laughs> I picked <laughs> much in the way that you picked Pulp Fiction last category because you knew you weren't going to pick it this one. I didn't pick it last category because I wanted to pick it for this one. I think the black suits, specifically that Jules and Vincent wear in Pulp Fiction, is the winner for me. It was done out of necessity. Like, Tarantino didn't have a costuming budget. He's like, all right, everybody just wear funeral attire. (laughs) Take take these suits that I already used in Reservoir Dogs. Great pick. I'm going to go with the Bride's Yellow tracksuit in Kill Bill Volume 1 because... I am not familiar or was not familiar with that particular Bruce Lee film. So I didn't know it was an homage for the last 10 years until we did this recent study on it. So whenever I would see a yellow tracksuit on a biker, I would be I would <laughs> oh, have that copying Uma Thurman. Song in my head. I would have that song in my head because when I see a yellow tracksuit, I'm thinking of The Bride. I'm sure that's intentional too. And that's a way of Tarantino reintroducing things that have gone by. Look at how he handles Sharon Tate in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood introducing everything to a new generation that may have not recognized it in the first place so yeah no qualms there next category here mike is best achievement in samuel jackson (laughs) we have his role as jewels in Mm -hmm. pulp fiction yeah we have ordell robbie and uh jackie brown yeah we have steven and django unchained inarguably the most underrated role of his career inarguably definitely does not get enough credit for what he did in that movie and we have major marquis Warren in The Hateful Eight. This is Best Achievement in Samuel L. Jackson. So how do we qualify best in this way, (laughs) right? Like, So the most notable and the most legendary, iconic performance has to be Jules. Such a lawyer. Well, I'm trying to parse it through. This is a tough category to vote on. It's a tough category. Uh, uh, Ordell Robbie's gross. (laughs) 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 He's just a gross human being. It's a good character. It's a good good slimy character. Yeah. Um, and I would say the same for, for probably Marquez Warren, the way he's treated throughout uh, The Hateful mm-hmm. Eight. I might be giving something away, but yeah, go watch it and judge for yourself. Oh, I'm going to say Steven from Django Unchained, just because I think it doesn't get enough credit and isn't highlighted enough because he's such a good actor in other roles for mm-hmm. the same director. So I'll take this chance to highlight it. So I'm going to go with Jules from Pulp Fiction. That's, I thought yeah, that's the range between. is there, and I, I love his uh, performance in Steven. That character has... All of these are just home runs. He knocks it out of the park every time. Uh, To me, the two Oscar-worthy roles were were the two that we mentioned. Jules in Pulp Fiction and Steven and Django Unchained. I think I would co-sign that because Um, I can't imagine Ordell Roby getting handed an Oscar. Yes, and he was nominated for Jules in Pulp Fiction. So that is my pick. The next category we're going to go... 
Best acting performance in a Tarantino film. Oh, we're getting serious. Yeah, we have. Samuel L. Jackson as Jules in Pulp Fiction. I'll add yours in here. We'll go with Samuel L. Jackson as Steven in Django Unchained. Mm -hmm. Pam Greer was nominated for a Golden Globe for Jackie Brown. Yeah, Tarantino really thought she was worthy of the Oscar that year. Yeah, Uma Thurman was uh, Globe nominated as well for her role in Kill Bill. I think it was two. It might have been both. We We talked about how she should have been there at the Academy Awards for Volume 1, certainly. But here's the biggies, and at least the Oscaries. Yeah. Christoph Waltz won his Best Supporting Actor, his first one, for Inglorious Bastards, and then he won a second for Django Unchained as uh, King Schultz. Talk about range. Finally, we think Leonardo DiCaprio is going to win Best Actor for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I am going to be shocked if you pick, pick against that, Mike. Leo uh, for Django not doesn't make the cut here, huh? Calvin Candy, nowhere to be found. I was trying to say. Got to talk to the time. Academy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's Leo. I, and it's almost unfair because it's so head and shoulders above anything I think we've seen, not only in a Tarantino movie, but in most Leo performances. Right. I don't think we've seen this type of character and him just dive in wholeheartedly to the nuances that this type of character's insecurity bring to the forefront and his kind of being vulnerable brings, brings to the forefront. I am in awe of that performance, having seen the movie for the four times that I have, and I think he's part of the reason why I still want to see it more. It's Leo for me. So the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood Twitter feed yesterday, they posted, like, best performances of his career for mm-hmm. Leonardo DiCaprio, like a big poster gift kind of thing. And you really need something more than just clicking the heart button for like. <laughs> right. We need, like, love. We need, like, would die for. Right. We need more buttons. Yeah. And I would click the would die for button. It's Leonardo Caprio, oh, once upon a time in Hollywood, so good. front runner. I would be shocked if somebody comes along and and passes him in our, our eyes. Got, gotta agree. I, he's he's number one with a bullet in the best actor race right now. I can't imagine. I again, I understand Taron Egerton did a great job. He's probably his biggest competition of films that have so been far. released so far in 2019. To me, it's it's head and shoulders. It's not close. It's Leo. He's doing uh, next level stuff. Yeah. Mike, if you became a multimillionaire, mm-hmm. this is you, a category, by the way. Yeah. Yep. You would buy this mode of Tarantino <laughs> transportation at auction. All right. So if you got rich, you're buying one of these motor vehicles. Mm-hmm. Zed's motorcycle, his chopper, <laughs> in Pulp Fiction. It's a nice it's up for it's auction. Nice, it's a nice bike. It's it's well known. Yeah. The Bride's Yellow Yamaha FZS 600 Phaser Kawasaki ZZR 250 and Kill Bill One. You did a little research. I there. did a little research. <laughs> I googled. All right. So the yellow motorcycle. Right. The Pussy Wagon in Kill Bill Volume 1. Which, Imagine driving around this town in that. Well, Tarantino imagines it because he owned that vehicle. <laughs> he owned that gosh darn vehicle. We have Ordell Robbie's Mercedes-Benz 450 SL R107 from 1975 in Jackie Brown. It's a nice car. Big trunk. Big trunk. <laughs> we have the 1970 Dodge Challenger. This is the end of movie car, the white one from Vanishing Point. Uh, this is in Death Proof. It's in, uh, another classic car. We have the 1969 Dodge Charger, stuntman Mike approved, and uh, I guess we could say customized. So this would be bidding on that specific car with its interior. specific car. If you wanted to be a murderer, you could use that car in (laughs) Death Proof. Uh, not that one would. Right. Maybe this is a dangerous auction, but it's it's an auction. <laughs> Get all ty- kinds of people here. Finally, from Death Proof, we have 1972's Mustang of the Girls. Yeah. Which is that, that yellow car Beautiful at the end. Beautiful car. 
We have King Schultz's Tooth Wagon and Django Unchained. And we have 1966's Cadillac DeVille. This is Rick Dalton's car in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I can't take Rick Dalton's car because that thing's a boat. I would definitely end up hitting something and fender bendering it, and that would be a waste of money. You're driving a Kia right now, yeah. Right. <laughs> that would be a change. <laughs> I can't take King Schultz's tooth wagon because I would just take that and put it on my lawn. Multi-millionaire, yeah. Uh, you're you not could. gonna. That's, that doesn't have any performative aspect no, to it. Oh, it's right? like a memorabilia. Right. <laughs> I can't, in good conscience, take the pussy wagon or stuntman Mike's car just because. Uh, <laughs> really liked the yellow Mustang from Death Proof that the girls rode around in. And I've always been a sucker for the Mustang type. Now, I'm not a car guy at all, but mm-hmm. a, a guy that, uh, my neighbor growing up, he spent a lot of money getting his first muscle car, which was a Mustang, and ever since, I've kind of been enamored with it. Uh, that put a big impression on me as a youngster. Yeah. So I, I had an affinity for those. So I'm that would be my pick. I'm with you, because all of these seem like chores to me. Like, we would have to <laughs> upkeep them and i'm not a car guy and i tried to mention all these cool cars for the car people out there right. the listeners that love cars but i mean think about the chores the, what would you have to do i mean i'd have to hire someone just to take care of it that's I, why i think i'm going with king schultz's tooth wagon and Django chain <laughs> i just put it in i just put it in my whatever garage right. and it would be half the garage and now would you have people over and be like that's from Django, or like what universe are we living want, in right now yeah i don't want anybody coming over who doesn't know what that is immediately <laughs> okay just in general so if they came over they would know it and they would be like wow you're cool you'd have to have like 16 foot high ceilings in your garage too with that bobbling tooth on the top my dream would be that uh, to have a man cave of that size <laughs> and it would just be in the man cave people come by and just slap the tooth and have it go back and forth <laughs> I have a la- yeah like a whatever i don't know maybe it's right next to the stairs in this said man cave so you can the wiggle it on the stairs. way down you yeah. can wiggle yeah. it on the way down all right that's we've put a lot of thought into this i think <laughs> Well, that's my answer. It's the wrong answer, but it's my answer. No, it's the right answer if you don't want to do upkeep, I think. I mean, the only other thing I can think of is Stuntman Mike's car. You could just take that and immediately enter, like, demolition derbies. Because it's already meant meant for it. Very nice. But if I enter a demolition derby, I will explode. (laughs) You will? (laughs) Yeah, we would not be good at demolition derbies. We would, would, like, paintball, demolition derbies, we're not good at that. Anything where there's any chance of injury... War, yeah, war, war games, mm. not not so much for us. We are movie critics. <laughs> Mike, <laughs> this might be the biggest category. Mm-hmm. We're going to take our time with this and do it right. Mm-hmm. This is difficult. Yes, it is. Best soundtrack. Yeah, this is tough. Reservoir Dogs, we had K-Billy's Super Sounds of the 70s Weekend with Steeler's Wheel stuck in the middle with you, mm. with Little Green Bag, etc., etc. Great songs in that first film. Absolutely. We have Pulp Fiction. We got all the surf music, yeah. like Miser Lou. You got Jungle Boogie, after you change the radio station during the credits. Son of a Preacher Man. You got the You Can Never Tell song oh, where they great twist. Songs. Oh, great music in that film. Jackie Brown, we got Across 110th Street. Yeah, a couple times. Strawberry Letter 23, Street Life. I was blown away by how good that soundtrack was on rewatch. But can't you say that about every single one of these movies? Yes, like, you is, can. There, is he the most in tune? I guess that's kind of a pun, but is he the most in-tune director with how he uses well-known songs in film? Is there anyone close? He takes pop music of years past, forgotten pop songs, and he makes them popular again. He does that with actors. He does that with music. Yeah. The man's got the magic touch for taking old popular things and making them popular again. Popular again, Give him a second life. 
Wow, I am redundant. <laughs> Kill Bill Volume 1, uh, we have Nancy Sinatra's Bang Bang mm-hmm. to start us off. We got Twisted Nerve, which is everybody's ringtone. Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood. We have Woohoo. Mm. Five, I, six, seven, my, eights there. Yeah, I should not speak that like <laughs> William Shatner. The song deserves to be Spoken sung. Spoken word album. Here we go. We got Kill Bill Volume 2, Good Night Moon, the Chingon finale, and Ennio Morricone was in both of those films. But Kill Bill Volume 2 is immediately disqualified for having the techno remix of that She's Not There song by the Zombies. Yeah, this is very out of place for a Tarantino movie and selection. The surprise of this category was Death Proof. We had Baby It's You down in Mexico. Yeah. Hold Tight by D. Dozy, Beaky, Mick, and Titch, plus a great speech surrounding that. A ton of great songs. They really were. Jeepster, et cetera, et cetera. Death Proof soundtrack. Highly recommend it. In Glorious Bastards, we had a ton of movie theme songs. White mm-hmm. Lightning, Cat People by David Bowie, which was the theme song for... Cat People, okay. Natasha Kinski, <laughs> Ennio Morricone's uh, all over Inglorious Bastards in terms of the scoring as well. Django Unchained, Freedom, I Got a Name, Rick Ross, John Legend, Tupac, James Brown. Great soundtrack. Yeah. The Hateful Eight, we had a, an original score for the first time in a Tarantino. Tarantoni movie or a Tarantino movie. <laughs> Ennio Morricone. We had the White Stripes go figure. We had Roy Orbison. They will God. not be coming home. Some good, uh, well placed music in that film. And then, of course, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood highlights include, but not limited to, <laughs> Deep Purple, Neil Diamond, Vanilla Fudge, Son of a Loving Man, Lost Bravos, etc., etc., etc. Look at the range and the variety of just different genres of music that he goes to and he highlights. It's not just old classic rock. He's got a lot of hip-hop in there. He's got a lot of alternative in there. Just a, a genius, and I think it's all underscored by the fact that that jukebox in Death Proof is the actual Quentin Tarantino-owned jukebox, which is a really cool Easter egg. <laughs> Definitely. Um, this God, is tough. This is tough. I, I'm going to go Django. I think the, the soundtrack I've listened to most lately has been Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Recency biased. It is recency biased. And Django also is just like, you, you're ready to run through a wall Django, after you listen to some of those songs. Some of the most listen to songs for me yeah. in the Django soundtrack. I think the most listened to album though is Kill Bill Volume 1. I think second would be Death Proof. It's kind of It's so hard spot. to pick. This like this is just strictly personal preference because they're all awesome. Yes, yeah, so I'm going to go with Kill Bill Volume 1. Uh, no criticism for your Django pick. Yeah. Though, so that, that's a great category. Shout out to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, though. Neil Diamond, give me a whole new introduction. So I'm not going to list his movies here, Mike, but what's your best first watch experience of a Tarantino film? Yeah, Can that's you think a good of question. One? I have mine ready if you need me to go with it. I, I think my best first watch was Kill Bill Volume 2 when I was left hung out to dry by my buddy in high school there. And I had to watch <laughs> it myself because that opened me up to a whole new life of going to see movies alone in the theater and being okay with it. So... <laughs> That's my answer. That's a dark answer. <laughs> this is supposed to be a nice category. I'm going to go with uh, Inglorious Bastards. Sorry, Lindsay. <laughs> I was going to say, you're going with the one where your friend was taken out on a stretcher? That's your best experience? And I'm dark, you said. It made it so much cooler. She passed out at the end of it. She couldn't handle it. It just validated all of the stories I heard about Tarantino, about the Madsen scene in Reservoir Dogs, etc., etc. Yeah, we're both dark. 
We're dark <laughs> to the core. All right. Best rewatch experience, and I'm, I'm talking about this particular rewatch. So you've seen all of these before. I hadn't. There was a couple I watched for the first time just for the purposes of this uh, rewatch series. So what's your answer for this one? It's Django Unchained, surprisingly so. I'm down on some movies that I like and liked in the mid-2000s, early 2000s. Uh, I was down on Django Unchained. I yeah. think it was like my 15th movie of that year. We did an early retrospective on it where I couldn't figure out why a character did something very big in the middle of the movie, and I understood it much more yeah. in the rewatch. And it just the, the movie is an emotional roller coaster. It's tough to tough to take. Yeah, but it's it's really well done. I think I agree with you. I think that would be my answer as well. And there's a lot of stuff that I wasn't as high on the first time, and things I didn't notice that came to light. Like I really didn't remember loving the soundtrack the first time I watched that movie. Yeah. This this rewatch, I was like, holy Christ, this is awesome. Studying that movie was was incredible. Yeah. Next category here, Mike. At what age do you show your child? <laughs> hypothetical, in our cases, to a degree. I have younger brothers. Uh-huh. At what age do you show your child their first Tarantino movie, and which movie is it? God. This is tough. Yeah, But this is is necessary because you're going to show a younger person, and you're going to pay it forward. Is it bad karma? Is it good karma? (laughs) It's a mixture of both. But you got to show a younger person a Tarantino film, and how young is that younger person? I think, well, I think the age, you got to be a teenager. Right. Right? I don't think you could do get away with showing like a 10-year-old any of these. Yeah, but... <laughs> One of us has. I don't know <laughs> how old he should. I don't know how old he was. <laughs> so I think I showed my youngest brother. Uh-huh. I'm the oldest of five boys. Right. Coming out of college. Your poor mother. Kill Bills, Volume 1 and 2. <laughs> so Daniel was in middle school, I think, 7th or 8th grade. Yeah, so he was about have, a teenager. He might have been in 6th grade. Oh, I'm going to be honest with you. He might have been in sixth grade. You know what it was? He was in pre-K. He was in pre-K is what it was. No, I think he was like 11 or 12. So Kill Bill was... I was going to say Kill Bill Volume 1 would be my answer because I think it's the most translatable to what they'd probably be playing in video games at that point anyway. Yeah, it's gory. It's... Right. Well, I don't know. It's like over-the-top violence. Yeah, you got some gross stuff in there, too. Sure. You play Mortal Kombat. It's basically the same thing, though. Yeah. You know? So I I think that would be my answer. I don't know that I would want to have the conversation of like... Who's Hitler? Who are these people breaking into this home in Hollywood? There's a lot of conversations I want to avoid. What's a gimp? (laughs) (laughs) That's a a vague spoiler, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You're not listening to this if you don't know that word. All right. So so you think teenager, you got to put an age on it. I go 13, Kill Bill Volume 1. 13, 14, Kill Bill Volume 1. Okay. So So you're not that far I did it younger. Yeah, you're you're a couple years off. That's all. The most egregious Oscar snub. We're finally getting on brand now for this uh, award show. Reservoir Dogs original screenplay in 92-93. And again, this is something that was not nominated to give you a, a lead in on the lingo here. We had Husbands and Wives by Woody Allen and whoever the fuck wrote Lorenzo's <laughs> Oil. They were nominated in the original screenplay Just category. Just guy at an auto shop waiting for his car to be fixed. <laughs> <laughs> That's so stupid. We have Pam Greer. She was nominated for a Golden Globe, yeah. but not in the Best Actress category of 97-98 for Jackie Brown. The biggest crime of that is that she wasn't going to win that category anyway because that was the Titanic year and Kate Winslet didn't even True. win True. And Helen Hunt won right. the category as good as it gets. Right, which is 
its own issue with I us. I think Pam Greer was better in Jackie Brown. Mm, than, no question. Yeah. No question. All right. Uma Thurman in uh, the Best Actress category in 2003-2004 for Kill Bill Volume 1. Michael Diane Keaton was nominated for Something's Gotta Give. That's pretty inexcusable. We like Diane Keaton. Yeah. Something's Gotta That's Give. That's pretty inexcusable. Is a... At best, guilty pleasure. If nothing else, the feminist statement that Uma Thurman was putting forward and in, in having women represented as badass martial arts heroes. Hey, we are Oscar critics. Yeah. We just dissect these performances year in, year mm-hmm. out the last three years. That was a great performance. Yeah, was. That was a great dramatic performance. It was. And then she did all the action stuff on top of it. I think the movie kind of disqualified her there. And the fact that it was over-the-top gory. Oh, yeah, and, and yeah. the stigma with Tarantino that was attached. He's still this, you know, piss-ant indie director yeah, that I, makes these over-the-top films. But looking back at that performance, I thought it was incredible. No question. Robert Richardson in cinematography like in 2003-2004 for Kill Bill Volume 1. Girl with a pearl earring, some nice visuals. Uh, there's no way they moved the cameras half as well. I mean, Kill Bill Volume 1, just the camera movement alone, was next level. And then Seabiscuit is more an editing than it is a cinematography showcase. Right? Come on. Seabiscuit. Look, they both look good. I'm just saying Kill Bill Volume 1 was better. Seabiscuit. Seabiscuit was nominated for Best Picture that year, too, I think, right? So that was probably an Oscar puzzles type thing. They wanted to justify its Best Picture. Looking back, Kill Bill Volume 1 is the biggest snub for me. Yeah. Oscar history. I I wholeheartedly agree. It's just a matter of which category you think was the most egregious. Finally, Samuel Jackson in 2012-2013 for Django's Unchained's Stephen Carey. Character. This was uh, a supporting actor possibility. Look, we all love Alan Arkin. Mm-hmm. We all love Diane Keaton. <laughs> Alan Arkin is not doing half as much yeah, no, I, as I, Samuel. I, these are all really good picks because the, some of the people that did get nominated that you highlighted, just it, it's not close. It's really not close. It's and not close. I would pick Uma Thurman. That would be for Best Actress. That would be my... Where I would fall, and I think That's if our podcast pick. was around that year, we'd probably be yelling from mountaintops about the kind of snubbing that that went under because it's just a great performance in general, and it stands. It's got such a great message attached to it, and it stands for so much. Again, not taking into consideration all the controversy that we ended up being attached to Kill Bill Volume Two and her uh, duties on set through no fault of hers. I am going to factor in some Academy mores or some things that they usually do here. The Samuel Jackson performance. It was great, but characters like that typically don't get nominated. Yeah. Robert Richardson, Kill Bill, probably too hokey with all the fast zooms, etc. in the cinematography. I get why those weren't nominated. Pam Greer and Uma Thurman, those don't make sense to me. Mm-mm. The Reservoir Dogs, all right, he's brand spanking new, but let him pay his dues a Yeah, Reservoir bit. Dogs' biggest snub was the Indie Film Spirit Awards. And how it didn't win Best uh, Original Screenplay there. That was the biggest snub of that one. I just, yeah, I I remember Pam Greer just being so good in Jackie Brown and us gushing over her and then Uma Thurman. I I don't know who to pick here. It's tough. I'm going to go tie. They both got super The rare tie. All right. That happens. rare tie, but I have to do it. (laughs) The most egregious Oscar loss, and I combed through all of his nominations. These are the three that stuck out to me. Okay. I think these are egregious. 1994-95's Best Director for Pulp Fiction. He lost to Robert Zemeckis of Forrest Gump. Mm -hmm. That same year, Best Picture, he lost uh, with Pulp Fiction to Forrest Gump. 
think that was egregious. And finally, best original screenplay in 2009-2010. He lost for Inglorious Bastards to The Hurt Locker and Mark Bull. I love The Hurt Locker. I thought it should have won best director that year. I thought it should have won best picture. Maybe I can I could see the argument. I still would have had Inglorious Bastards over over it for best picture, but I, I, it's at least on the level. We talk about tiers all the time with our Oscar mm-hmm. talk, right? At least that's a tier one, and you know, make your pick on tier one. Mike, there's no way the screenplay for the Hurt Locker, which is essentially just one episode of 24 right. and then two episodes of 24. Right, that's my pick, and the reason is for the reasons you're hitting on. But also, Robert Zemeckis, you can at least see the argument back in 1994 for doing what he did with Forrest Gump, and it was really a big deal that he was able to put Tom Hanks into all these historical spots in Forrest Gump, and it's kind of, I don't know that it really holds up today, but for the time, it was a big deal and kind of a forerunner and a precedent to a lot of things that would happen in film to where we are today. So you see that as a a similar tier. Yeah, it was like a technological achievement there, and it was like, how could this one guy be tasked with doing this and pulling it off so well? So I get it. I don't. I'm sure in '94 I would be more impressed by it. You know, the biggest, the most influential, egregious loss was Pulp Fiction of Forrest Gump, though. I think in Best Picture because can you imagine? Could have changed the Academy. It would have changed the Academy. It would have changed the way absolutely. You know, made Oscar movies. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree with that. And not that's not to mention, 94, 95 was a loaded year for pictures yeah. all up and down the card. So that really would have been a big deal if one of the most celebrated years in film in the last 25 years or so ended up going Tarantino's way. But then again, look at the other side of the coin. Maybe it would have had an impact on Tarantino as well. We wouldn't have gotten Inglorious Bastards and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And maybe the hunger wouldn't be there. Who knows? We would have gotten, like, memento... <laughs> craziness from him the rest of his career yeah. just david lynch maybe he would maybe have turned he into lynchian yeah lynchian he would have just kept building on that the most egregious feat <laughs> is the next category right. we have uh, butterfly running to pee <laughs> why are we zooming in on her feet while she's running for so long in death proof uh we have pussycat's feet up on the dash yep. and once upon a time in hollywood it's awkward. Yeah. And we had, yeah, Margot Robbie's Dirty Feet up on the movie seat once upon a time in Hollywood. Very funny. Uh, I, I still think it's a troll job there for what he's doing It is, there. Yeah, yeah. My answer is going to be the feet of uh, the Fonda girl and Jackie Brown as Robert De Niro is creepily staring at those and he decides to zoom in on them for no reason. Yeah, I'm talking about the feet in particular, though. I'm, you're talking about the scene. I'm ta- yeah, I'm talking about the All scene. Right. If I'm talking about the scene, then the Rosario Dawson, Kurt Russell scene. Yeah, was, oh, God. Yeah, that yeah. was your worst. That yeah. that is your, yeah. but they're both, yeah. You, yeah. you got an issue. You got an issue. All right, that's our non-spoiler section. We're heading into spoilers now, Mike. I think this is important because we want to dive into these scenes. So if you have not seen all of the Tarantino movies, we might spoil the one movie you haven't seen yet. I guess you can skip ahead, look at our show notes. We have timestamps in those. Yeah. And you can skip ahead to our countdown or whatever category you think is safe for you. But full disclosure, we are heading into spoilers now. All spoilers all the time here. This will constitute your spoiler warning. Let's get right into it, Michael. What's the next category? So the most fun we had with an MMO performance. <laughs> and I'm going to quote the movies. That's why this is spoilers. Okay. You're going to bark all day, little doggy. You're going to bite from Reservoir Dogs. I only remembered my qu- quotes for the most part. That's but this- fu- that's fine because my answer has to do with my quote, so we're good. <laughs> yeah, the wolf. This is one of your quotes. Uh, clean the fucking car from Pulp Fiction. We had uh, Jackie Brown. Oh, what could have been, Mike? 
we, I'm not going to spoil the the kind of gag that we did for that. Mm-hmm. But we wanted to do, or I wanted to do you. Yeah, all the sex noises because it was a sex scene. <laughs> And I'm not going to reenact them here because you barred me for for good reason. It would have been the most awkward 15 seconds. Or it would have been the funniest. (laughs) I don't know. It had the comic potential, but I think you rightly kept us in our lane for that. So that's uh, us asking for you to give us five stars on iTunes. (laughs) (laughs) No, we couldn't have asked them. We couldn't ask our audience of anything. If they endured and stuck with us after all the heavy breathing of Robert De Niro, that we would have reenacted if I had gotten my way. Terrible. We had the Where's Bill mm-hmm. scene that we uh, we did for Kill Bill Volume 1. We had, you're going in the ground tonight. Yeah, that's my winner because I think I sound a little bit like Michael Metz. Yeah, I was proud of how I came off there. You did. So yeah, it's yeah. all about me, me, me. <laughs> <laughs> and Death Proof, we had your, so I put out a bunch of your performances as well. Yeah, like you Death did. Proof, <laughs> you, you did Kurt Russell. You're going to have to start getting scared immediately. Yeah. I like that. I love that scene in the movie. I performed Londa in uh, Inglorious Bastards. Meeting Aldo. Respectively, I would say. You did a good job. I've been practicing that for years. (laughs) I can only do one of his voices, but I think I could do that one. The Django Unchanged scene we did, again, I'm impersonating the Christoph Waltz character. Another words, Marshall. (laughs) It just turns into a South Park voice. You owe me $200. Yeah, you have a second career ahead of you if you need it. Uh, The Hateful Eight. You watch up stool? <laughs> I thought that was just funny. It's goofy. I don't know if we did as good of a job. I don't think one. we picked the right scene from that one. We should have done the Michael. <laughs> Close the fucking door! Yeah. <laughs> what ain't gonna be good enough? <laughs> we, but we would have had a fight over who got to be Madsen. Yeah, probably. Because <laughs> you, probably you played them once. I played them once. That would have been the, the third time we both would have wanted to play them too badly. Oh, God, I love that man. And then we had you doing Kurt Russell, as you have. Yeah for the third time now anyway you doing kurt russell and me doing rick dalton with uh, again respectably you did a decent job there pulling off the stuttering so what's your pick i mine, i would stick with kill bill too but what's yours oh i just had it now i forgot it oh no i have it again all right it, because it's t- if i have to pick the best scene we did mike might have been the kill bill scene the oh. Kill Bill Volume 2 scene. Okay. But that's not my pick because I don't want to compliment <laughs> don't wanna stroke you. my ego that much. <laughs> it's uh, the Django Unchained performance. I like me, that one too. Me. It's too, way too long of a scene to put as a spoiler warning. It was our longest scene, but I just did Like Tarantino, we are two men with healthy-sized egos. <laughs> I thought we were going to pick each other's scene. No, that of course been not. The, that would have been the classy thing to do. I would have put money on this breaking down exactly <laughs> as it did. <laughs> All right, Mike, this is a big category as well. The last place you'd want to be. Mm-hmm. The last place. Yeah. Restrained in a chair across from a dancing Mr. Blonde. Terrible. A.K.A. A- a- Michael Madsen yeah. from Reservoir Dogs. The basement of that pawn <laughs> shop Jesus in Pulp Fiction. Christ. <laughs> the last place you'd want to be. Yeah. Those two, immediately, how do you pick? That's a Sophie's <laughs> it's choice. Rough. It's rough. doesn't the, get any easier. <laughs> the back seat of a car with Jules and Vincent in the front seat, having a conversation while Vincent wags a gun at you and your name is Marvin. <laughs> Pulp Fiction. <laughs> in Buck's care at the hospital. Jesus Kill Christ. Kill Bill Volume 1. He should not be in charge of that unit. No, they shouldn't have hired him when they saw the tattoos on his knuckles. If all those weren't bad enough, Mike, in that coffin, Kill Bill Volume 2. This is just a house of horrors. House of horrors. We have the passenger seat of that 1969 oh Dodge Charger of Death Proof. Good Lord. Oh, we She's have a... <laughs> making me sad. 
We have across the table from Hans Landa in Nazi-occupied France. That's the best case right now, <laughs> sitting across in a Nazi celebration. That's psychological torture, though, yeah. I guess, uh, in Gloria's Bastards. Ugh. We have Candyland and Django Unchained. Just terrible. We have Minnie's Haberdashery during a blizzard <laughs> in The Hateful Eight. That at least gives you something to do. <laughs> Spawn's Ranch and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, that's you're loving that horrifying. Place. But you're loving that place in, by comparison. Right. Well, I mean, I guess as long as I'm on their good side. And you're talking about devil shit. On Rick Dalton's Good doorstep. God, and what a, a time sick in man! Tarantino this is impossible is. to pick. This category. Last place you'd want. God, to be. that basement at that pawn shop. <laughs> I mean, when you see the gimp walk in, you you just you. Ju- All right, I'm gonna start rationalizing. At least you have Butch, who's gonna save you. So you're Marcellus. So uh, that actually plays out the way it, it yeah, happened okay. in the movie. Yeah, it does. How about that? that? As a stipulation, because otherwise right. it's too hard. All right. So if it plays out the way it does in the movie, <laughs> it's not good to be in Reservoir Dogs. No. It's okay to be in Pulp Fiction, but it's still terrifying to start. You're getting maimed or killed. It's not good to be Marvin in Pulp Fiction. Right, that's bad. It's not good to be in Buck's Care at the hospital. No. It's okay to be in the coffin, it's even though that okay also is right. terrifying. Right. But uh, this is the last place you'd want to be, the worst place. Right, right, right. It's Candyland, I think. I don't want to be there for it any reason. It might be. It might be. I think that's my answer. Mm-hmm. I'd actually have some fun at Minnie's Haberdashery. Spawn Ranch, at least they throw a good party. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> then again. Ugh. Yeah. Oh, God. This is not good. <laughs> None of this is good. I guess Marvin, because you, you're getting your head blown off. Sorry for spoiling well, that's the that. best place you'd want to be. Because at least it's a quick death. You get out, you think? All right, maybe. Yeah, you might be right. Yeah, maybe it is Candyland, or maybe it's the Nazi. I don't want to be anywhere. <laughs> I don't want to be any of these places. This is a failed category. I want to talk to the Manson family. I don't want to. No. Our faces are red. Yeah. All right, char- uh, going on 180 here. <laughs> Character you'd most want to party with. I tried to get all the killers out of here, uh, at least that we know of. The Wolf, Harvey Keitel, and Pulp Fiction. He'd be good because he would clean up everything quickly. Yeah. You know? Like, you wouldn't get in trouble. Employ him at the end of the right. night to help you, you call him in. Or to yeah. delegate, you know, the most efficient mm-hmm. way to clean right. things up so you woke up the next morning and you didn't have to deal with it. Totally. That's great. That's a great answer. Um, Melanie Ralston, this is the Bridge and Fonda character in Jackie Brown. She's a good hang for 90% of that movie. Yeah. She'd, she'd be fun, I think, at a party. Arlene, this is uh, Butterfly, Melissa Ferlito and Death Proof. She's cool yeah i don't have an she thinks she'd be fun at a party too she seemed like a really down-to-earth girl bridget von Hammerschmark from inglorious bastards like she likes to play the games she would be good at like she uh, would entertain all your guests planning the party planning the party yeah, yeah she'd be really good at that i think and having a big crescendo we're awkward guys yeah we need a life of the party right so she would be the life of our party right right as we would just be wallflowers she would get everybody and then as everyone's having the best time, it would explode. <laughs> We'd all die. In the Mexican stand-up. But right, but she's at our party. Right. Look, Sharon Tate in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, if you have a dance party... I mean, she's an angel in that movie. Right. She's a total light of the, the world and just... We would true, all just be staring true. at her like... Uh, Gorgeous, yeah. It, she, would, it would be awkward. I think Sharon Tate... I'm going to disqualify Sharon Tate from my parties because all of us would just be like... Uh. <laughs> Margot Robbie would just in un you know inhibited ago mode we couldn't help ourselves. 
Yeah, but that's how you know you've like you've, you're throwing a good party too. Is if the A lister like Sharon Tate comes around. Oh, and, is that how you, you know? know? Yeah. Is that not what? It's you would up think? to say it. It's pie in the sky for <laughs> us two schmoes. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. But let's do right. a little lower. Well, you say the mo- the one you most want to party with. I think Sharon Tate might be the biggest status symbol of these uh, options. Yeah, true, true, true story. And finally, and the best answer is Bobby Hoagie, good guy. Once upon a time in Hollywood. As long as the other fucking asshole doesn't show up. He was a fucking prick. <laughs> I, I think the, the the chillest characters are probably Melanie Ralston and Arlene. Mm-hmm. But again, my answer is probably Sharon Tate because that means I'm somewhere important. Unless I have suicidal tendencies, then it's Bridget Van Hammerschmack. I talked myself into Von Hammerschmack because it's a, it's your party. It's not you're not fighting in a fucking. It was basement. her theater. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she could be planning something, but then again, I'm I'm gonna go with Von Hammerschmack. All right. That's fine. <laughs> you have a chair tape. We're both wrong, um, <laughs> but here we go. Character you'd most want to have on our podcast. The answer is not Quentin Tarantino from Pulp Fiction. His character. Yeah, That'd true. be my answer. Now, here, here's the stipulation. Yeah, character you'd most want to have on our podcast, but you have to record it in person with them at a diner. This is an off-specific <laughs> category. Well, here's the thing, because I can mention too many main characters. Right. They're all killers. They'd be fascinating interviews. Right. I actually have to put us in the same room okay. with this character. So we're recording this at a diner. I'm going to say Esmeralda Villalobos. A little creepy. Cause this she's talk- is the cab driver from Pulp Fiction. She's very, you know, she's fascinated by... Death. Death. Blood. Yep. Hattori Hanzo and his apprentice from Kill Bill Volume 1. They're funny. They're very funny. And then you find out they are very, very serious samurais. <laughs> they are. Yeah. But they're cool, and they they question you, right. and you wouldn't have to do as much work. I think they have some some wisdom too. I mean, they obviously know a lot about the way the world works, and being such masters of the crafts that they are, and despite the, the fact that apparently they make terrible sushi, they make terrible sushi. But you're at a diner, so yeah, you're right. fine. It's, it doesn't come into play there. Jungle Julia and Death Proof. You just talk music. She knows everything about every band of the of the seventies, eighties, nineties. I I legitimately just want to pick whether that's her or Tarantino's version of her. Like I want to pick whoever's brain is behind that to talk music with them. Yeah, because I love musical history. So that would be a big get. That would be cool. General Ed Fennick. <laughs> this is Mike Myers' wow. character. That's a terrible choice because I would break <laughs> out laughing in his face as soon as just he started talking. Just because the accent that I can't do right now. <laughs> I had, we both had it down. It's like a very smart, yes, that's right. That's right, that's right, that's what it was. It was all the way down, sir. And glorious bastards. I couldn't, no way could I do an interview with that. (laughs) Just laughing. And then Rick Dalton from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He's the one main character I put in here. He is a a killer, though. He's the one we actually see, like, kind of giving an interview in a restaurant, in a diner. He'd be a good... He would be great. Yeah, he'd be, yeah, he'd he'd be, be the best get. Maybe I'd have to disqualify him. My my answer, just for personal preference, would be Jungle Julia, just to yeah. sit down and have a conversation with That's all that pick. knowledge there. That is a good pick. Yeah. Then again, you're in a public place, so maybe a killer would have worked here, I guess. Now, I'm going to say... Depending, uh, yeah, yeah. It's Rick Dalton, and he is a killer. <laughs> it's Rick Dalton. I would interview Rick Dalton. Well, the fucking hippies aren't, I'll tell you that. <laughs> best time jump or flashback montage. Oh, this is good. We have Mr. Orange learning his anecdote in mm-hmm. Reservoir Dogs. We have Christopher Walken's story of the watch in Pulp Fiction. Absurd. We have Oren Ishii's anime origin story in Kill Bill Volume 1. Maybe the most different that Tarantino It is went. most different. Yeah, the, the, mo- the most different radical dis- direction <laughs> yeah. he took his movie in of any of these films. I would agree. The cruel tutelage of Pai Mei in Kill Bill Volume 2. Yeah. Well-timed, but... Mm-hmm. 
very very interesting. We have the Hugo Stieglitz. It's almost like an uh, anecdote in the Glorious You Bastard. love saying his name, and I don't blame you. <laughs> Domingue gang, we got the big Act 2 to Act 3 change-up at Minas yeah. Haberdashery in The Hateful Eight. We got Cliff versus Bruce in Once Upon a Time Come under all kinds of fire lately. A lot of controversies being attached to that. True. Why wouldn't there be? It's Tarantino. And we have the montage about Rick's trip to Italy <laughs> in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Get Ringo, said the gringo. <laughs> That's a great title. Great posters for all the spaghetti westerns in that movie. He went to Mad Magazine, which has since announced that it's going to be not doing original episodes anymore. He had the Mad Magazine people actually construct that uh, that Mad Magazine issue that Rick Dalton's on the cover of. Uh, he really goes above and beyond for the kind of aesthetic of his film that engross you in the world. That said, my answer's got to be Oren Ishii because oh, cool. it's the most radical, and he pulls it off. And it's again, it just lends credence to this thing we talk about where we let Tarantino get away with whatever he wants because he's done everything. Yeah. And he proves that it goes in line with the story at the end of the day anyway, so don't question it, just strap in for the ride. That's a great pick. It is certainly the most unique and produced, I would yeah. say. I'm going to go with what I just said. might be recency bias, but the montage about Rick's trip to Italy, I just thought that was so well done. So skilled. There's two parts to the montage. You got the airport. You got the flashback part of it, going back through all of his movies, through the sit-down with Cliff. And then, of course, you have them returning home, and you have him going to get his dog, and you got... The sadness that that brings up with the song choice, Rolling Stones. You get a little bit of a history lesson about about movie making, too. You're talking about some legitimate directors, some Spaghetti Mm -hmm. Western directors, some fake Spaghetti Westerns. You're talking about uh, some homages. You're talking about the shooting style in Italy at the time. They shot it in Tower of Babel style and everyone speaking their own language. I, I appreciate that for what it was, absolutely. All that being said, the goal of Tarantino to pull off an antagonist backstory during your protagonist's act one to act two transition yeah. or that escape there. That was incredible. Yeah. Just the goal. I'm going to put this here and you're going to deal with it. And you're just going to like it. And just trust me, it pays and off. And we did. We yeah. liked it. All right. The most improved genre award. What genre did Tarantino most improve by taking a stab at it? Okay. We have the heist slash Mexican standoff crime movie in Reservoir Dogs. Mm-hmm. We have pulp crime, literally a genre in the 1920s, 30s, 40s. That was Jackie Brown? <laughs> this is uh, Pulp Fiction. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, we have the procedural, which is, yeah, it's a procedural heist movie, I mm-hmm. guess you could say. It's an Elmore Leonard genre, etc., uh, crime genre. Which at the time was the biggest departure that Tarantino did. I mean, yeah. He's off Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, and he's, now he's adapting crime dra- yeah, novels. And that's, that's a, a writer that basically formed his own genre. Yeah. Kung Fu, Kill Bill Volume 1, Martial mm-hmm. Arts, uh, no question about it. Uh, family drama coming of age, I I reject this category. This is Spaghetti Western, Kill Bill Volume 2. I know, I know, I know, but we kind of had to keep Spaghetti Western for some other ones, so. <laughs> I disagree. <laughs> well, there is the family drama aspect, certainly, okay. at the end of it. That's inarguable, I would say. Yeah, but no. Okay, fair. <laughs> Disqualified. You have a good percentage. Did, uh, I'll say Kill Bill Volume 2. It wasn't going to be what I picked anyway. Okay. I'm appalled by the song. Slasher, serial killer, grindhouse for yeah. Death Proof. No question about that. Historical fiction war. Yeah, Inglorious Bastards. Men on a Mission. Mm-hmm. Okay. Historical fiction slavery. Again, Spaghetti Western, but it's also very much a bounty hunter movie in Django Unchained. Trapped Together, Who Done It? Chamber Piece, Hateful Eight. And Day in the Life, Buddy Hangout movie, Buddy Hangout comedy, no question about it, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. 
The way I'm going to answer this is I'm going to pick the subgenre, love that word, of a movie that I probably wouldn't have been exposed to otherwise. Mm -hmm. I think that might be Kung Fu. That's a good pick. I don't think, had it not been for Kill Bill, I would go through my life seeking out a lot of other Kung Fu. Not that I have seen many as it is, but I've certainly seen what I've seen as a result of being exposed to it through Kill Bill. It's boring, but I'm going to agree with you. I think think that's the best improvement on a lot of bad movies that I, opposite of you, saw throughout my childhood. Right, yeah, you had had exposure to them. I watched a lot of Kung Fu movies growing up. And there, a lot of them are not good. So maybe if I saw a lot of bad spaghetti westerns or any grindhouse right, movie, right. a lot of those are bad. Well, so, see, grindhouse. I was thinking about doing grindhouse, but it's like, first of all, I have issues with the lowest rate. Yeah, but it's also I've seen grindhouse movies. Like I've seen those kind have of sea okay. level things before. Maybe they weren't exactly grindhouse. Well, but you also hold serial killer slasher movies in I'm high very regard. high regard. Yeah, and you and we both do. We right. have them rated highly. Right. I don't know if I've seen a kung fu movie as good as Kill Bill Volume 1. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. Might be our shortcoming. Maybe we haven't seen the right ones, but there it is. Okay, let's get into our best scene section here, Mike. The funniest scene. We have Christopher Walken's POW story in Pulp Fiction. Laugh out loud funny. We had the crying of stuntman Mike in Death Proof. <laughs> like a shocking laugh, right? Like uh, an oh my God, I can't believe he's doing this type thing. Buongiorno. <laughs> The happy hour before Nation's Pride. Borlami. That, that premiere in Inglorious Bastards. We had the baghead scene. Django and Chain. Look, I think we all agree it was a good effort and a nice idea. But the bags could have been done better. That scene is it's like a sore thumb from the movie. Yeah, it is. It really There's is. also some fucked up shit at the beginning of that scene, but somehow it's a really funny yeah. scene. We have Cliff Booth's flashback to getting fired by Randy in Mm -hmm. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Very funny. And we have just more of an anecdote than it is a full scene, but Cliff and Rick watching FBI Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. The funniest scene you didn't include. Uh, Did I miss it? Leo flipping out in the trailer. Every time I watch that, I laugh at it hard. It's funny. (laughs) To me, I'm watching the acting in that scene. I look at it a little differently. You listen to me. You're a sick bastard. You'll get your lines right. I'm going to blow your fucking brains. (laughs) Like, (laughs) talking to himself in the mirror, but looking right at the camera, too. He might have won an Oscar in that scene. (laughs) Right. I I completely agree. But because it's so real, and because he's he's played Rick so vulnerable Mm. and open as he has, Mm -hmm. it makes that scene all the more impactful to me. That might be the best scene. It it is the funniest scene for you? I laugh. I've laughed Mm. hard. Hard every time at that scene. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's it's a good argument. I'm going to say the biggest laugh was Christopher Walken for it's me. It's up, yeah, it's up there. I just was like crying out of control. That, I can't believe that I went scene there. is funny, and then it's even funnier when you think about it and look at it from 3,000 feet. Because the guy's handing a small child yeah. a watch that's been up two grown men's assholes <laughs> for long periods of time. <laughs> That's just a poop watch. Is all it is. Yeah, we ha- that's our level of humor, <laughs> right? I'm gonna have to say it is Christopher. The Walken's highest humor. lowbrow humor there yeah. is. I laughed a lot on rewatch to the Bongiorno and Glorious Bastard yeah. scene because Christoph Waltz, all the meta ness of him laughing right. at their bullshit story. I loved it. All right, next scene. What's the most shocking in Tarantino? And this is there's some shocking scenes. Sure is stuck in the middle with you, mm. Reservoir Dogs. Bring out the gimp, goddammit. God. Pulp Fiction. Melanie getting shot at the end of uh, Jackie Brown. That is shocking. Shotgun blast from Bud. Yeah. Kill Bill Volume nice. 2. That is uh, not just shocking. That is like a jump scare, for yeah. Christ's sake. 
The Bride versus Ellie Driver. Not much uh, later in that film, Kill Bill Volume 2. Could probably throw Ellie and Bud in there as well with the Black Mamba. Yeah. Yeah. The Revenge of the Giant Face. Was it shocking, though? We can debate it in Glorious Bastards. We have King Shoots Candy. Monsieur Candy and Django Unchained. That Something was... we got a whole new appreciation for, both of us. We yeah. kind of recontextualize it in our uh, second watch. Here. That definitely shocked me, though. Yeah. Now, I'm not talking about the subsequent action scene afterwards. Right. Right. Although, I guess you can conclude that, but we're going to have its own Just the choice to actually, yeah. Revenge of the Poison Coffee. I don't know. I forget. <laughs> I mean, Daisy Domergrew's got a secret. That was funny, too, yeah. The Hateful Eight. Uh, was shocking. Yeah, sure was. The finale of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He was keeping us guessing that whole movie, and then he had that finale. I hate. I don't. I really don't want to pick Hollywood, but I know it's recency bias. Most shocking. Yeah. What shocked you the most? Bring Out the Gimp was the most horrifying, I would say, at the time came out of nowhere that we're, we're literally in that world. It's also the most contrived, I would say. I mean, it's Killing not a, Hitler I put up there, too. Actually going through with killing Hitler and having him being writing him off there. I think I reacted the most to that. Yeah. In a way, to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Also, I think I yelled and laughed the most to The Hateful Eight. I'm going to pick the most shocking scene is that shotgun blast from Bud. Uh, yeah, and that's kind of understated, and I think that's what I'm picking as well as an understated one. I'm going to pick Melanie getting shot in mm. that crowded parking lot in the mall because you yep. just, of the context in which the scene is taking place, it's the furthest thing you think would actually happen yeah. just based on where the characters are alone. You're yelling at it. No, you didn't do that. Right. No, that just didn't happen. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, so that we're yeah. going with more jump scares yeah. for this uh, category. Best dialogue scene. We got a serious one. We got Jules and Vincent in that first sequence from Pulp Fiction, the Royale with cheese. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like three parts to it. They go up, and then they're in the apartment room. I say what again. That's a great sequence. That is. Jules and Vincent in the final diner sequence. We got the negotiation. Then we have the bookends to the first scene with the whole speech being said again. Hell of a scene. Sure is. We have the bride reuniting with Bill at the end of Kill Bill Volume 2. We have the Superman. That Superman speech is great. Anecdote, it really is. We have the you know the whole finale with Bill. How do I look? The five-finger death punch. Heart-exploding death punch. You got it wrong. It's whatever. <laughs> you keep you recycling that voice again. <laughs> You're tired or something? All right, we got Hans Landa interrogating Monsieur Lapadite and Inglorious Bastards. May I smoke a pipe as well? Hell of a scene. Mm-hmm. And then we got a new one that just really floored me. We have Leo and Julia Butters <laughs> on the set of Lancer and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I don't know. Would you bother me? Yeah. And we got, he's not the best anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Poor crying. We got, yeah, it's a great scene. So what's your pick here, Mike? The most memorable dialogue from a Tarantino movie, still, I yeah. think. Yeah is the Ezekiel quoting Yeah, from Pulp Fiction. It's hard to ch- pick against those, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, so I think that's where I would land, even though the guy has made his career off of being either the best or second best to Sorkin at actually having memorable and fluid dialogue between his characters. It's hard to argue with. It really is. I'm still going to argue with you a little bit. I yeah. think the best scene of those is the Londa interrogation of Monsieur Lapadite. It's a muscle flex scene, but it's so much more. It's it's basically it's that... It's hair-raising, man. Yeah, it's that movie in Microcosm, yeah. as we talked about, and screenwriting advice. It, it parallels every scene you're going to get for the rest of the film. I, I just think it's also like 
I think that movie is his masterpiece. I'm going with Londa interrogating. Pulled off even more impressively by the fact that it's primarily in another language. And we have to follow yeah, for it in the subtitles. First part of it, yeah. absolutely. All right, so that's that's a tough category. That's, yeah, it absolutely is. That's that's what the guys made his career off of, essentially. Right. Best action sequence, maybe less tough because a bunch of them come from the same movie. Mm-hmm. We got Butch rescuing Marcellus in Pulp Fiction. We have The Bride versus Vernita Green, Kill Bill One. Mm-hmm. The Bride versus the Crazy Eighty Eight, <laughs> Kill Bill One. The Bride versus Oren Ishii, Kill Bill One. Yeah, they got three major action sequences yeah. in that one movie. We have Ship's Mass slash the final car chase battle on Death Proof. And we got the big shootout after King dies, That's Django a great Unchained. One too. Yeah. I, I mean, you can put the whole third act of Django Unchained Sure could. Sure this could. is really tough. I, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of choosing between two of the Kill Bill fight scenes. I mean, the best one for my money is The Bride versus Oren Ishii in Kill Bill Volume 1. But There's how do you a lot pick of against? moments of downtime in right. that fight where they're, they're stopping yeah. and walking around. Which I didn't remember, and it was reintroduced to on this watch. Just incredible. You got the whole, you know, that little... The visuals of that are stunning. Just the garden, the water, the the whatever that thing is, the bridge. I mean, it looks... It's in Tarantino, like we've said in the episode, Tarantino said it's one of his proudest shots, just how that whole thing looks. Maybe I'm just a sycophant, but I'm going with the Bride versus Ornichi. I'm going to do the Crazy 88s, just because I think you have the most action, and then you also have the the artistic looks of how the the silhouettes are battling each other. But I don't think you can go wrong in this category, and I think that's... I mean, Kill Bill especially was made to be a beautiful action movie the big shootout in Django Unchained that's like a tweener like I can't classify it like it could have been most shocking it could have been best action sequence I love the way that was written too and it apparently underwent some rewrites as well but I I, that whole third act of Django I think is really fulfilling it could be in that next this next category as well Uh, I don't know where to put it but here we go best Mexican standoff guns on everybody everybody has a gun Michael in Reservoir Dogs that finale we have at the diner with Jules and Vincent and Honey Bunny mm-hmm. and whatever the Ringo. Keep cool, Honey Bunny. Pulp Fiction. We have setting a trap for Ordell, Jackie Brown with Michael Keaton with Pam Greer, etc., etc. Yeah. Again, multiple guns. We have B, BB, Bill, and Kill Bill <laughs> Volume Two. You got some fake guns in there too. You got Nerf guns, which oh, I thought was a nice touch. You shot me. Yeah. Me, and then you have a flashback about a Mexican standoff. Mm-hmm. Incredible. We have fighting in a fucking basement. <laughs> <laughs> Glorious bastards. Uh, Jody Domergu, or Domingue, pronunciation <laughs> optional. When he emerges in The Hateful Eight, that, that's a hell of a standoff. Might be the funniest payoff of any Mexican standoff. Oh, <laughs> you know, again, Quentin making us laugh yeah. at things we shouldn't be right. laughing at. You got Django Unchained. I, I guess you can call it a Mexican standoff uh, with uh, King Schultz and Monsieur Candy and and his you know heavies and then Django with access to it. It's a great standoff. Mm-hmm. And then you have Tex versus Cliff versus Brandy versus Knives <laughs> and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Eventually flamethrowers, but that's later. Over time, that one may grow in prestige in my mind. Reservoir Dogs is the true Mexican standoff. And hell, for, you know, Francesca gets a punch in there. Yeah. Know, once upon a time right. in Hollywood as well. But yeah, you're right. The best scene of those is Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, the, I mean scene. the best preceding scene. That 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 one. I mean that's mm-hmm. making you on the edge of your seat there. No, I don't know. What's your no pick? guns, me. No guns, you. <laughs> <laughs> what do you pick here? Oh, it's tough. The best pure Mexican standoff is probably the original Reservoir Dogs. That's how I'm leaning as well. 
but he made plays on that for the rest right. of his filmography. Somewhere in every movie, we kept mentioning it, he has a Mexican standoff, whether it's a joke, whether it's for real, mm-hmm. whether it's a different version of it. He kept playing with that kind yeah, of scene. Yeah, like in Kill Bill Volume 2, it's not a Mexican standoff. It's a heartwarming moment. So, you know, yeah. it's, a, it's a shocking moment. I think you're right. The best scene is in Glorious Bastards. The most meaningful, most emotional one for me was Kill Bill Volume right. 2. Right, that blew me away. Yeah, so it's all the way you wanted to find it, but yeah, I, I think I go Reservoir Dogs just with a, ironically, a gun to my head here. The non-Margot Robbie Tarantino Style Award, because mm-hmm. I'm not putting Sharon Tate in here because she would win. Okay, so we could just say right <laughs> off the top in the name of the category she would win. Probably fair. All right, but we got a Style Award here. We got the little green bag. The dogs walk out of the diner in Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> we got Mia dancing to a song that, upon retrospect, is a Screwed up song by yep. Neil Diamond. Girl, you'll be a woman soon. <laughs> yep. Why are you singing about that, dude? Uh, why was he singing Sweet Caroline about a baby? I don't know. What the hell is he singing about, yeah. Mike? Neil Diamond. Weird guy. I have to look at it. Take another look at him. Maybe. Might be fucked up. <laughs> Pulp Fiction. We have Ordell drives around the block. I think that's Strawberry 23 with Chris Tucker in the trunk of Jackie Brown. Style. I love that scene. All in one shot, too. Heading to the restaurant. Crazy 88s, on motorcycles, yellow tracksuit, yellow motorcycle, in Japan, Kill Bill. Great song. We have Bounty Hunter Paradise in the Rocky freaking mountains. Django Unchained, great song there too. Yeah. Down the Highway song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Moving down the Moving, thank you. Frances- Again, the William Shatner sing- you know, spoken word shit I'm pulling out of my ass in this episode. I'm such a weirdo. Francesca and Rick, they're walking through the airport. It's a great song by the you know, the Rolling Stones. Again, it- it's style. You got the get-up for both of them there, but Francesca's <sighs> crochet, crochet outfit. outfit. I think it might be one piece, too. It looks phenomenal. Can you imagine if it's a onesie? It might be. I, I-, I couldn't say. I can't tell, but yeah, it looks... Wild, wild outfit there. Expensive. I think heading to the restaurant and the motorcycles might pick though. Just with everything yeah. combined there, with the aesthetic look of it, the song that's playing in the background, the motivation of the characters, you know where it's leading towards, the anticipation that you're building up with. I think that might have everything going for it, even if it's not maybe the most beautiful looking of these options. I think that might be my pick, just on a holistic standpoint. I guess we're biased, because I've been a wrestling fan. You're still a wrestling <laughs> fan. I've been a fight fan. We're two guys that love action movies. Yeah. And I, I think I agree with you here. It's even though I So said, what's your second place, then? I, really, it's third place, because the Playboy Mansion sequence is probably the best oh, yeah, yeah, style yeah, yeah, yeah. award. I mean, that's the, the ha- make me the happiest. Uh, I'm, I'm spoiling the next category. But here we go. I would probably pick the second place. I have to go with my last answer, though. The Francesca and Rick walking through the airport. Okay. I, I think I would I... do Mia dancing. The dancing scene for Paul Stylistic. Fiction. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of ends on a bummer, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The happiest Tarantino scene. I kind of gave you mine already, but... Let's let's go, Mike. Jackrabbit Slims and Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. That's a happy yeah, scene in the dance contest. Hattori Hanzo, the sword ceremony. Upon retrospect, that was a really awesome scene in Kill Bill Volume One. Sure. Was, when I was younger, I didn't like that scene. I like it now. Yeah. B and BB, Kill Bill Two. Yeah. That's a happy scene. Uh, heartwarming. The girls killing Stuntman Mike. <laughs> happy scene. Love yes. that scene. Django, Broomhilda. 
He's wearing candies, kind of sunglasses there. He's got the his horse. Awesome scene. Doing stuff. You got Broomhilda with the ear hands, uh, fingers in her ears, mm-hmm. which is a great Tarantino-like nice gesture. Touch. Sharon at the Playboy Mansion, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm the son of a loving man. Sharon watching herself at the Bruin. Love that. Again, I may have to go a non-Sharon Tate one here. <laughs> anyway... That's the best acting I've ever seen in my whole life. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Lancer premiere. That's a happy, happy scene. What's your happiest? I really, really like the way he handled Sharon Tate. And part of that is watching her showing us the real Sharon Tate in the movie. Yep. Uh, in The Wrecking Crew, on the theater, in the on the screen, in The Bruin. I, I, I'm going, I think I'm going to pick that. And if it's not that, I might just pick Jack Rabbit Slims because that makes me the happiest. That is a happy... Like, that's where we want to... We talked about where would we want to live in a Tarantino movie if it's not Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's Jack Rabbit Slims. I teared up during the Playboy Mansion sequence in Sharon Tate a couple times throughout our rewatches, our four rewatches. I think I I teared up for sure, B and BB, those two characters reuniting. Look, we're talking a lot about Sharon Tate and Margot Robbie's portrayal of her is kind of, I, I think, why we're... If you're talking about the Robbie portrayal, you gotta consider that lines that she would have had were mm-hmm. taken by the real Sharon Tate mm-hmm. and showing her versatility on screen and that all goes into to her representation of the character and I think that's why I I don't have a problem with the lines or lack thereof that some people want to claim yeah. that Margot Robbie had. I think it was a great performance and I think I, I'm very happy with it. It was a tribute. Yeah. All that being said, I would want to choose the Django scene here, but I'm just so relieved at the end of the movie. I'm so, like, spent right. after all the killing there. I'm just emotionally drained. That's all. That's a, I mean, that's, that's probably the coolest scene. It's the coolest you know? scene, for sure. I think you're the most relieved, literally. Right. I just said that in, in that scene. Yeah. Like, uh, but I'm dying. I'm suffering throughout that movie. That's <laughs> that, right. That it's, it's rough. rough. It's a rough movie overall, for, for certain. So we're on to our re-rank. I think you got an idea of, yeah. of what we'd pick. Uh, do you want to go list by list or number by number here? Let's go number by number. We usually uh, we talk in the confusing backwards way when we do this anyway, so why should we change <laughs> now? We have the same number 10. It's death proof. Yeah, with Ta- a bullet. Tarantino agrees. We're sycophants. Let me say, too, the 9, 10, and 9 were the easiest to do because, for me, they yeah. were the biggest problems I had. Rewatching them, knowing what I know now, and knowing what happened afterwards. So death proof for 10, Killabo Volume 2, I kind of, I'm okay with not seeing either of those again, I think. I still think Kill Bill Volume Two as a movie is pretty strong. I think the, I don't disagree. I think the production story behind it yeah. makes it a bit slimy, but as a movie, I think it's a little better. So I rank it a little higher. I have the Hateful Eight as my number nine. I still don't know if I get that movie. I know it's just about America and everybody's <laughs> fucked up and everybody's racist, and when they're not racist, they're chauvinists, and it's really a hard yeah kind of story to tell. There because, seems to be some more subtext. I would agree. I don't know if he's great at the mystery, though. I don't know if he's great at it. I would like to see him embrace it wholly and go full-fledged into it instead of having a kind of a a genre shift halfway through the movie. Right. I'm surprised my number eight is Jackie Brown. I had that much lower going into this rewatch. That's mine as well, and I'm pretty high on it. I have a problem here after the the bottom two that I think all these movies are great. They're all, most of these movies are B pluses for right. me. I think you know. I'll be honest with you. All of them are B pluses for me based on my rankings. How could, yeah, I, I'm with you. I mean, Jackie B-plus Brown. Jackie Brown on up. I'm a B or higher on all of them. So, I, I, well, Jackie Brown's my eight. Hateful Eight is my seven. So, what's your seven? Reservoir Dogs. It's just didn't. It doesn't age as well, and I have some issues with it. 
uh, just based on a sh- uh, as a movie. It's one of his. It's his first canonical effort. It's one of his first efforts. Mm-hmm. There, there's some awkward moments in there. I like it. I, I I don't know if I love that movie as much as I used to, but that that is my number seven. That's fair. I had that a little higher. I have that at my number five. I I kind of thought it gained points on rewatch, whereas some of his other ones lost points. But I don't have an issue. I you know you can tell it's an early '90s movie for sure. You can tell it's one of his first efforts, but. My number six is Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> and I know a lot of people are going to yell at that and think I'm crazy, and you're probably right, but... I'm surprised. It's not a matter of I don't think it's a good movie. Right. It's just a matter of grading, and I just think that, you know, that's a B plus, and I have, like, I don't give out A's and A-minuses easily, and I think my top three or four are all A-minuses, and I have that as a B plus. That's all it is. Yeah. That's basically I... the same tie with Reservoir Dogs for me. Disagree, but... I'll get there because I want to save it. My number six is Kill Bill Volume 2. I, I do think it's a well-made movie. Mm-hmm. I think there's some awesome scenes. I think it's one of the most surprising films. So many scenes just pay off on revelations. And there's some action, but it's it's not the big fight scene movie that we thought it was going to be, which was shocking. It truly is a Western yeah. building up to like a gunfight, like a gunslinger's gunfight, which is what Westerns build up to. Yeah. Violent, quick action. Yeah. It's not, but it's not a pull out of a gun out of a holster movie. It's some creative way that he that he t- turns these scenes. I, I don't disagree with any of it. Yeah. Number five, Mike. I already said my number five was Reservoir Dog, so what's yours? It's Django Unchained, which was, again, much lower. I, I struggled with this movie for years. Uh, it, it catapulted itself up on, the, on my list here. Kill Bill Volume 2 was, was higher in previous years as well. Django Unchained bumped it out. I, I, I thought it was a, a hell of a movie. It's an emotional roller coaster. It's tough to watch, tough to take. But I think the, the history is done, again, respectfully in many cases. I think we have major qualms about the language and the gratuity of it. But the movie is so good that it, it kind of, it, it does get over that. I mean, maybe we're just two white guys yeah. and we can deal with it because it's not something that rattles us to the bone and maybe it should. But yeah. I, at the same time, I, I think it's a well-made movie. I mean, issues with language, you know, this is, I don't know if this is a cop out or whatever, but issues with language in that movie, it's still showing the representation of what horrible racist white people thought about slaves and yeah. black people at the time i have i still have a great issue with issue with language in that movie but i would have less of an issue with the egregiousness of language in that movie than i do with let's say the egregiousness of language in pulp fiction with tarantino's character yeah. himself okay and that's a good argument i think uh this film is still an empowerment movie and it's not a I hopeless agree. movie it's not a powerless feeling that you have like uh carrie washington said yeah. it's a movie that really you know, pays tribute and honors and is a prayer to mm-hmm. the, the, the horrors of the past. And it really makes you feel those. It, it, it forces you to suffer through them. And I, I, I struggled and I mired in that earlier rewatch days. Agree. Same but here. I think I, I'm able to see. Upon rewatch doing and doing the research and finding quotes like that and finding the empowerment that these character, these actors felt by being participating in this movie, I think no film gained more points for me than Django. Yeah, uh, and that's my number three. Actually, I, wow. I had it over Kill Bill Volume One. 
which I loved and adored, but Kill Bill Volume 1 is my number four. Right. And again, I mean, this is this is the hardest practice. You could ask me in 15 minutes, my, my mind could be changed, <laughs> because this is just, a, you're parsing through classics here for me, especially, for me anyway, these top four, I think, are legendary. So that was my number five, Django Unchained. Remind me, your number five was Reservoir Dogs? My five is Reservoir Dogs, my four is Kill Bill Volume 1. What's your four? So my four was my number eight, or my number seven, you know, after first watch. Mm-hmm. After second watch, it became my number six. After <laughs> third watch, I'm up to five. And after my fourth watch of the film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I have catapulted it all the way up my list to number four. So all you got to do is watch it three more times. <laughs> it's probably up there for me. I, I love the movie. I, I'm i surprised that I'm calling a buddy hangout movie and putting it up this high on the list, but I thought he really nailed it. I wouldn't be surprised if this is best picture at the end of the day. Uh, we're going to cover this throughout award yeah. season. I think it's it's going to be a major part of our coverage. So I, I've kind of given away my list, but I echo everything you just said. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, for me, gets better every time you watch it. I'm in love with the acting in it. I'm in love with the story of it. I have some ancillary issues, uh, some representation issues, even though that's not what the film is about. But my top four, Kill Bill Volume 1, Django Unchained number three, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood 2. Pulp Fiction number one. Even wow. though I did, t- I mean, Pulp Fiction was a 94, 95 before we started. I had knocked it down to a 92, 91 based on the issues I have with it, but that's still the highest grade of these during the rewatch that I had. That's cool. I have Pulp Fiction as my number three. It hasn't aged as well as I would have hoped, I but it's still so innovative. And to this day, yeah. for him to put that puzzle together Great. is extraordinary. Thematically, it works on me still with what. Uh, Jules is, is saying in the in the finale, he gives his finale to his strongest character in that film, and I'm I'm glad for it. It's a hell of a movie. So that's my number three. My number two is Kill Bill Volume One. It's just a blast from start to finish. Can't argue with it's it. It's a great kung fu movie, perhaps the greatest kung fu movie. But surprisingly, Inglorious Bastards is my number one. You're not alone. I know there's a lot of people that hold it in, in that higher regard. You know, it's it's a tough pill to swallow because the end is so violent, and it's it's tough to rewatch. Uh, with current events it's a movie though and i think movie violence is different i think thematically it meant something and it still means something i think he's saying something about the movie movie universe look i i do shudder at the end of it but at the same time i think the scene scene to scene that's it's the best movie for me and uh, you, you got scenes in the beginning of the film that are just great. I mean, look, the difference between Inglorious Bastards, Mike's number six, and Pulp Fiction, my number one, mm-hmm. in my grading is literally four points. So it's tight. <laughs> yeah, you could talk about. I mean, you, we, if we did this rewatch series one more time, I would probably re-rank the That's top <laughs> eight or top seven of these. Yeah. So it is what it is in that respect. And who knows? The Hateful Eight. We might watch it in, in three years under different... When more Easter eggs and more subtext has been... Yeah. D- yeah. People may have finally figure that movie out right. in, in ten years and we're like, wow, that's pretty that's profound. one of the caveats we said about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, too. We know there's stuff in this that we're not going to realize and not going to figure out until 10, 15 years have passed. So it's a fluid list like most of our countdowns are, but especially when you're dealing with a guy as engrossed in the subtext and the nuances Tarantino has been, and that's something we tried to highlight. Nope. Hopefully did bring to the forefront and analyzed uh, to death for you <laughs> throughout this exercise here of the Tarantino rewatch series, which we can now put up on the shelf uh, in its tidy little playlist it's of 
on to the side on SoundCloud. If you'd like to go re-listen to it, we would appreciate that. Uh, go to SoundCloud.com, click on the playlist tab, and you will see the Tarantino rewatch series all laid out for you. Otherwise, if you have comments, questions, concerns, or anything else to say about the Tarantino rewatch series, this award show, or anything we do in the MMO Empire, we want to hear from you as always. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook, Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram, MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com, and on Reddit. We're available everywhere you hear podcasts, whether that's TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, uh, I don't know, Google Play, etc. <laughs> if you just type in Mike, Mike, and Oscar, you'll see our smiling faces. Uh, cartoon faces waving back at you and if you can give us a review like we said at the top of the show on Apple Podcasts we really do need to collect those four and five star reviews so we would thank you very much if you can just take the time to scroll down on our Apple Podcast page find the stars and click all five of them there. Michael what's coming next and what's some words of wisdom for these people? So we got a lot of Oscar Sprint profiles those are our movie reviews of Oscar contenders of award season contenders we've got a lot of those releasing in the next few months we're going to start with the farewell we may have something for you next week we'll see how the, the actual rotten tomato movie review scores come out we'll see what the buzz says mm-hmm. but we're gonna really sink our teeth into a lot of current movies for you we got our two weekly shows mmo weekly and oscar race update where we do hollywood hot takes in one where we cover everything award season in the other so that's going to be you know regularly scheduled programming for you we may flip it in terms of the oscar race update once the award show season starts up mm-hmm. where we'll do those on mondays but right now we're keeping MMOW on the Monday, and at the end of the week, you're getting your Oscar race movie talk fix. And finally, Mike, we're going to do some fun stuff with the Halloween season with the horror movies, whether they're retrospectives. We've already talked about a unique way to do another kind of rewatch for you mm-hmm. that'll be based on a current movie that I think we're both jazzed for. And, uh, whether we do that or they do something else, I'm not going to commit to it quite yet. <laughs> but it's it's not going to be as big as the last few rewatches we've done. No, no, it's going to be not. like five or six episodes, yeah. but it's going to be fun and, and it's hopefully be shorter, shorter and horror episodes. related. <laughs> we got too many Oscar movies to review and too many Oscar, yeah, you know, race updates to give. So it's we're we're going to be about our brand, but we really love the off season because we can dive in to rewatches like this. Check out all our others, like Mike said. Yeah, uh, guys, with all that. Tarantino rewatch series. You can officially uh, put the closing notes on that. And like we said, we're done with it. We appreciate you being along for the ride. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. When your reality does suck, you can always come over here, click play, and watch movies with us. We will check you out next time. Thanks for listening. See you.